Hi, this is And the Oscar Doesn't Go To. I'm Sam Meltzer, and on this podcast, a guest and myself will be discussing the films that received Best Picture nominations, yet not only failed to win that award, but didn't take home any trophies on Oscar night. Today, I will be joined by James Kunovsky. He is the host of Out of Oscar, which is a great podcast where he and guests discussed films that almost made it to certain lineups for the Oscars and failed to make the cut. And I really loved recording our episode on the 2016 Best Actress race. So welcome. Thank you for having me. How's it going? It's going okay. It's really cold out. And I just had to walk back home in like an hour <laughs> in the freezing cold. Okay. Can't relate. I mean, it is raining here, but yeah, that's ah. about as far as we're going. <laughs> Today, we will be discussing William Wyler's The Little Foxes, which was released in 1941 and got nine nominations. Why did you select this film? Okay. So I have a few reasons. Um, for starters, it's sort of like the Oscars' first first big loser. So it went home um, with nothing after nine nominations, which at the time was a record that has subsequently been broken. But I find it fascinating that a film in 1941 gathered so much across-the-board praise but couldn't pick anything up. I will say it is a very stacked year, but I find that interesting um, secondly, I just love like comp- companion pieces to timeless stories. We're dealing with like greed. Um, if you are like a succession super fan, go ahead and like uh, compare the two. And you know, then it's also like William Wyler, American master. And this time around, <laughs> I realized that, I mean, being a big Power of the Dog fan, I just love these like biblical allusions to the power of man or like the beast within man and this draws on that through little foxes so yeah it's just a timeless story i know it's just interesting that you brought up succession because i just finished it and like i'm on a succession high i'm obsessed with it now yeah. so and you've got like rich spoiled families um here they have like a historical backdrop which just like adds an extra layer to it i love that um it's just a really uh, well-made film. It, it's, it has a fantastic source material, which is always a good thing. So Lillian Hellman's play, which was, um, which premiered in 1939, I believe, on Broadway. Uh, so I think it starts with the material and then you have a great cast that I'm really keen to get into. Yeah, this is one of the few big Betty Davis films that I hadn't seen until this point. And I didn't know why I kept putting it off and not watching it. I don't know if I, it, it was that I wasn't interested. It's just, I don't know, I just never was in the mood. And yeah, I'm a big Betty Davis person. So I was mm. excited to get into it. And I think William Wyler did everything. So, so if you're in one of his films, you're probably going to get nominated for an Oscar. So, yeah, I, I, yeah, he really was an ingenue in terms of big American Oscar players. Hmm. Should, should I go, like, right off the bat saying that I don't actually like Betty Davis as much in this role? Um, I agree. <laughs> she does. Um, she, 
Well, for starters, her interpretation of Regina is very different to Tulula Bankheads, who originated the role. It's she plays it so cold and so calculating. There's um, it's just sort of hard to reel you in, especially when there's such an eclectic company surrounding her. Did I say she phoned it in? That sounds bad, but I would say she sort of she sort of does. I'm not, I, I mean, I love Betty Davis in her roles, uh, in her other roles, but there's really something missing here. The interpretation seems too mild. There's not enough shades of contrast in her performance. It's too cold, it's too chilly, too unsympathetic. And ultimately a cold character just ended up leaving me cold. I mean, what do you have to say? Uh, before we get into the plot, I have to say, I was expecting this to be like some like she plays a lot of villainous characters and a lot of those characters rely heavily on the way she delivers the line and the timing of the character in order to be memorable and with this performance that just feels completely left out so mm. i don't have much to say about her performance because it she gets such a juicy role and i feel like she doesn't do as many interesting and vulnerable things with it as she can. As you said, it felt it feels so calculated. It feels planned out in a way that isn't as authentic. Totally. Um, it's the sort of thing that it's like, it's compelling to watch on film. Imagine knowing someone like this in person, that would be literal hell. But I think that the fights that Davis had with William Wyler which were extensive and about many things. And Betty Davis dropped out of the project momentarily, then came back in when she heard that someone was going to be replacing her. That I feel like that definitely spilled into the show, if you will. Um, and yes. you can pick up that Betty Davis is just unha unhappy about something in a certain scene. Um, but I just, I'm really surprised at how she opens the playing field when she's with her brothers. You know, I found myself drawn to them. And I feel like if Betty Davis is in a scene, that shouldn't necessarily be the case, especially when she's not with, like, with men. Um, you know, if she's if she's showing the scene with, like, Alexandra, then, yeah, that's a bit different. But I, I, I don't know. It's, um, yeah, like I said, not enough contrast to the performance and not enough authenticity, especially when you have characters that feel very real, even if they are toned down. Like, I mean, her brother's been an Oscar. I just like <laughs> greedy bastards and you just believe them. And then Alexandra and Bodie have their own plight. Um, I actually, so you know how we can only have like one, uh, or if you're nominated in lead, you can only be nominated for one film. I would, mm -hmm. I would nominate Betty Davis in The Great Lie over this. <laughs> I wouldn't nominate either. I find her annoying in that. Oh, really? What well, yeah. she has a Marion Cotillard uh, plane crash moment. But like... Except not, not the same. But it's not that. <laughs> yeah, it's not the same. Yeah. The only way I can follow up on your comment is if I explain the beginning of the film, which is essentially mm, yeah. the go. turn of the century in the South. Betty Davis plays Regina. And she... I, would, I don't know what I, what you call it. It's not a plantation because this isn't slavery, but it's basically that. If this, if, yeah, like a southern estate, I guess. Yeah, like they're just yeah. rich clan. Yeah, and 
uh, one night they invite, I think, what's his name? It's the guy that oh. Herbert Marshall plays. Horace? No, that's the husband. Uh, it's the guy from Chicago, isn't it? Or the, the businessman? Yeah, the businessman from Chicago. William Marshall, I think is his name. And then, and her brothers are there and they essentially, the brothers essentially get Marshall to build like a cotton mill in this Southern estate or in the Southern town. And that would make them rich. And then Marshall wants Regina to go with him back to Chicago. And, and then after he leaves, uh, she says, I'm gonna move to Chicago and I'm gonna move there with my daughter played, I think uh, her name's Alexandra and she's played by Teresa Wright. And this turns into an argument, a conversation between Regina and her brothers about getting financed from this uh, mill that they're building. And she wants her husband who's sick and is in like a hospital of sorts uh, mm. to come back. And so she gets Alexandra to go to Baltimore to bring bring him back home. And then, yeah, so I think this is the main setup. It's just sort of yes. the argument about the money and her sending it's, her away. What do you think of this part of the film? The, the actual plot? I think it's, I think it's interesting. It's very timeless. Um, we're centering, centering the film around a business deal, more or less. What's not made um, overtly clear, I would say, is that the family is financially struggling. You get the idea that yeah. they are well off and that they want more, but it's really they need to secure this business deal, otherwise they'll lose their um, reputation and, and whatnot. And that's definitely not made clear. And that's also something that Betty Davis argued with William Wyler about saying that their house is way too lavish for a family um, that is short on money. It's, you know, this greed has not gone out of style and it's, it will forever be uh, relevant to watch a story like this. I, I actually find that central thing like really compelling. Uh, so yeah, I mean, that all goes back to Lillian Hellman's play. I know there was additional dialogue added to this version, but did you have a problem with it or something or you were? I don't like the story because I think oh. that, <laughs> I think that the way this film sets, as you said, I do wish it was clearer that they were struggling financially. I, I do think it's interesting that you have the juxtaposition of their property versus their internal situation. But I don't know, this argument, this conversation was so boring to me. Like, I don't know why I'm supposed to care because this character, like she, the way she's introduced is so weird because you, you, you see Teresa Wright and I think one of the maids together on a carriage, basically having an everyday conversation. And then you get this, what's su supposed to be this big fun introduction to Regina. It just felt kind of lame. And then from there, I didn't really care about her. And her performance feels so calculated that it never really feels commanding. And then when they when they get into this argument, I'm like, okay, fine. The story, as you said, not dated. I think it actually, even though nothing like this happens anymore specifically, I think that the theme of it all, of men inheriting all the money and of 
these people who are getting way ahead of themselves in financial industries. I think that holds up, but I wasn't particularly emotionally interested in any way. Mm. So unfortunately that left me kind of <laughs> upset. Yeah, how do you have that that staircase and not have Betty Davis introduced on it? You know, I she know. just sort of like leans out a window and says, stop yelling out these windows. <laughs> Oh, and I love how everyone's doing like a different accent. Teresa Wright is really Southern in some scenes and then just goes back to like transatlantic and like everything else. Um, I love her in this film. She's definitely like someone you can root for. Yeah, her voice kind of annoyed me. It was like a high pitched in a way that kind of irked me. (laughs) But she's playing like the wide eyed Southerner, don't you like that? She is very, like, naive, and oh my goodness, yeah. do they overplay that? I don't know how old she was. Um, 23, of, I think. That's how old Teresa Wright was. She's She was young. Oh, wow, okay. So, yeah, she's actually playing a young person as well. That's interesting. It's I mean, not she's like better here, I think. 16. I think she's better here than she's in Mrs. Miniver, but, like... Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know how I feel about the Mrs. Miniver performance, like... <laughs> I mean, I just generally like Teresa Wright, but she doesn't really do much in that film. And, you know, actually, spoiler alert, her dying in that film, I feel like certainly worked in her favour, I would say, as bad as that sounds, because that was like people's reality. But yeah. No, but regarding her in this film, I think what it was is that, and I, I think both her and Betty Davis, I think they're convincing. I don't think they're awful. I just think that, especially with Betty, it could have been striking. Um, But instead we get something that's, you know, what you expect an actress to do. She did her job, but she didn't do her job in a way that, like normally she elevates it so much, but with Mm -hmm. here, I don't know. I don't think she does. (laughs) I can't say I do either. Um, So when she momentarily dropped out, Wyla or Samuel Goldwyn, whoever was like, ah, oh, you know, Catherine Hepburn is replacing you. <gasps> no. Or Miriam Hop or Miriam Hopkins is gonna replace you. And it makes me wonder. I am so glad we do not have a Catherine Hepburn um Little Foxes. Because I mean, sure she plays one person really well, but I can't see how that would have uh, been particularly better if you will. Um, how also the ax- would the Catherine Hepburn... <laughs> yeah, how would Catherine Hep- Hepburn go as a villain? I don't know. I don't think she would have played it as a villain. I feel like she would have played it with more subtlety. Um, mm, don't know if she's I, great at that. She's capable of subtlety. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, maybe she would have... Uh, I don't know. I feel like... She would have definitely been a more powerful presence where I mentioned earlier when Davis shares the spotlight, she actually sort of gets lost. Um, Miriam Hopkins, that's a strange one. And I haven't actually seen that many films with uh, her in them. I've seen Trouble in Paradise, which was like, she's also with Herbert Marshall in that film. But yeah, who knows? Like, <laughs> oh, I'm really gosh. surprised, like, you... you didn't like it. I mean, like, the first time I watched it, I was sort of left a bit cold, yeah, but then, like, 
the second time I could appreciate it a bit more. Also, when you're not expecting such a heavy emphasis on like business. Yes. I mean, I sort of get, I I sort of get lost in the business jargon. That's just like how unfinancial I am. (laughs) So I'm not, I, I think the thing was when I was watching Succession, I didn't really view it as like a business show. It's a family show. This was a business movie. <laughs> just this, it, the yeah. conversation is so long. <laughs> just went on for you know such how... a long time. And I was like getting lost. Yeah, no, same. When they have the conversation about when I get 75%, um, you know, near the end. Or and they were just like, I don't know. It's even like the bonds as well, like stealing the bonds and somehow them not realizing that. But I was, I don't know. That was like, how, how is this plausible? Maybe it's not plausible. Maybe it's like a 1941 plot hole. I mean, I'm sure it's not. Like, yeah. It definitely does lose me. What about Patricia? Cool. Yeah, that's it's kind of the next part of the film. Mm, a person where... worth talking about. I, would say. <laughs> I, I said, so Oscar, I, I don't, was it Oscar or was it Ben who's married to her? Um, uh, Oscar. Yeah. And so is the, isn't this like her family's plantation or they, he wants to, I think that's, hmm. he wants to acquire her family's plantation. That's part of the reason why he's marrying her. Um, hmm. And I suppose this tests the family's wealth situation, but it also seems like Regina is not a fan of this idea um so then they negotiate and then how am I not remembering what happened I literally watched so, this like <laughs> so she's basically like um Regina's sister-in-law um yeah her name's Birdie she is let's describe her as a talented pianist who's completely suffocated by her domineering and abusive husband the power um, of the dog but instead of husband it's oh my see what i mean the power <laughs> of the dog lives through this film <laughs> like the poison the poison viciousness of man in piano player tree and she's exactly birdie she lacks flight i mean that's a metaphor that we that we love to see yeah. um and she's she's basically it's sort of like a one note character i would say because most of the oh i liked it just, yeah i mean it's a great one note but you know most of the scenes are about her just not having like any power um she does have a moment when she talks about i want to call it the hiccup monologue if that makes sense to some people who've watched the film mm-hmm. where you get to know a little bit um more about her past and her backstory but even in the beginning the way she delivers like what am i doing what am i doing to oscar after she's interrupted that dinner party it's like you ultimately feel just a connection to her because you feel sorry for her but she also delivers it with such gravitas that you instinctively trust what she has to say um we'll get into her versus Teresa later but before we do what did you think about Patricia Coolidge's Coolidge I really liked her uh I tend to be a fan of these 10 minutes or less performances where sure. Bradley Cooper. 
Yes, sure, the actor or actress doesn't, sure, they don't have much to do, but first of all, it's a true supporting role. They don't have their, they don't have to have their whole entire narrative and arc to really be a supporting character. And she also just steals the show when she's there. Whenever she was there, she was the most interesting part. I don't really know much about her as an actress. Uh, She wasn't in many movies. No. Oh, please check out Shadow of the Doubt. Um, okay. Yeah, that's like one of Hitchcock's best, uh, in my opinion. You also have Teresa Wright in a leading role, which can be interesting. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure Bridget, she plays the mother of just like the family, the matriarch. And yeah, really good um, performance. But yeah, I haven't actually seen her in many things. Oh, she's in The Nun Story but I don't remember who she oh, played. Never saw that. <laughs> Weirdly, like, Beatrice Strait is in the nun story. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't either, because all the nuns kind of look the same, except for Audrey. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, but oh, re- and- with regards to this segment of the movie, you have, like, them. The, they all negotiate, and then this, like, bank teller wants to borrow Betty Davis's husband's, like, railroad bonds and in order to like build for for construction and then I think this is like part of financially benefiting them and she this is when the conflict happens because uh the brothers don't want Regina involved so they tell her that and then she says I don't know how to do the accent I hope you die soon yeah, it's kind of like this <laughs> moment that I'm, I, I feel like I was supposed to be absolutely stunned by, but I kind of wasn't. I mean, that's that's also the thing. Betty Davis delivers some really heavy hitting lines that like don't barely even like touch us as an audience. Like when she says, I'll do things my own way. Sorry, we really, we got to stop with the accent. <laughs> no, I don't think but I've ever she... been able to do a good accent of anything, anything. <laughs> But when she says, like, I'll do things my own way, um, that's supposed to be, like, a, a gut punch of a moment. But... It's not. I don't know. Maybe just the, maybe just everything is, like, too ultra-stylized. Because I feel like everyone's playing very heightened character. They're borderline moustache-twirling villains, I would say. Um, I have to say, yeah. They all kind of feel like shticks, though. Like caricatures. Oh, yeah. <laughs> But I also think that works in its favor. But, you know. Uh, I don't know. Gotta, I'm not a fan of that. To, yeah. You definitely have to, like, draw draw the line, I guess. Um, but when Birdie says, like, don't marry Leo, like, my own son, that was that was a line that actually, like, stuck out to me. And also because you can see Oscar in the background. And you just yes. know that's not going to end well. She... It's such an interesting character that kind of feels inconclusive because I actually don't remember what happened after she said, I don't like my own son in the garden. Like whatever, what happened to her after that? She just exited stage right and like never returned. (laughs) I think it's interesting because even a moment like that, that I feel like I was supposed to be gut punched by, I wasn't emotionally connected. So I didn't really feel anything. So I ultimately what did you rate this? 
I haven't rated it yet, but I'm surprised that you gave it such a high rating. I almost gave it five. Oh. Betty's Davis, Betty's performance holds me back a little bit. But I just think like it's like it's a fantastically like crafted it. story. I will say though, the first time I I would I'm confident saying the first time I didn't like it because I was way I was confused by the businessness of it all. The business of it all. <laughs> and then this this time around I focused more on like the family dynamics, which sort of relates a bit more to the succession. But you know, I mean, at least how I viewed that show when I watched it. Who do you, who yeah. would you compare her to? Um, Kendall. Wait, who? Regina. Yeah. No, surely she's a Logan. No. But how are they different? But like, she doesn't have as much power as Logan. That's true. Yeah. And Logan is like a complete monster. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't think that Regina is. Um, I don't think she's Shiv. A complete monster. No. Oh my god. No. Uh, but I, yeah, I don't think Regina is a complete monster. That's why I find the performance a little bit unsatisfying. To Lula yeah. Bankhead, should we get into? Well, do you want to get into like, like the third the act? About... Oh yeah. Like, I find okay, the so... ending of this film weird. Are we going to talk about the heart attack? The what? The heart attack. Oh, yeah. That was odd. I mean, I suppose it makes sense considering that he was, like, sick and, like, you're supposed to feel terrible because she's dependent on him financially. What did you think of that scene? Of her just letting her husband die? Um... (laughs) out of place (laughs) like out of pocket move i will say that like that deep focus is just like pretty spectacular during that scene and i think the um, cinematography is really good yeah i also like the sound recording that's just like it yes like you hear the and the sets of of course shuffling yeah um i mean i really like the close-up on davis's face as he's sort of limping to the stairs it's a pose that we haven't really seen her do before she looks so just high strung um this i i don't know i feel like if the if that scene was okay i feel like if regina was just a little bit sympathetic that scene would have more impact otherwise you're just adding adding it on to already like her viciousness, which I feel like was overkill at that point. Um, it's, I don't, I don't know. I feel like I, yeah. Okay. What do you have to say about the? No, I, this is going to sound repetitive, but I feel like I'm saying this a lot in that there are many scenes in this film where I think I was supposed to be shocked in some sort of way or emotionally torn. And I think this was one of them. And I just didn't feel it. (laughs) So I don't know if that's Mm. my fault or I don't know if it's the movie's fault, but something happened and I wasn't able to click with it, unfortunately. So you weren't like aghast when she was not not doing anything as her husband was clearly having. But I feel like once you introduce a character who has a heart problem, you know that that's like going to be the Chekhov's gun. 
like they make such a big deal about his heart and then suddenly he's in a huge argument with her I married you because I was lonely but not in that sense and you know um I wonder how that would play on stage with an audience a live audience reacting to that moment you know I don't think we'd have people like screaming but I think that would be um, better than on film honestly even though the the way it's filmed is pretty phenomenal hmm. I would have I would have rather seen this on stage yeah and we've had some pretty you can watch like 15 minutes of Elizabeth Taylor as Regina on YouTube um in case you want to and oh Maureen Stapleton is Bodie how good is that that's pretty spot on I'm pretty sure she's Bodie don't quote me on that but it makes sense because like that's very much how um sure she kind of was as a person as well uh I really like Herbert Marshall's performance he plays like a dying character convincingly but he's not really given much to do I would say like Dan, I have no idea how you pronounce this man's last name. The man he plays, Leo. Dan Turia? Do we think it's pronounced? Like Duria. <laughs> Duria. Duria. Yeah, yeah, maybe. He's he's great. I mean, like, you get to see him slapped twice, which is very satisfying. Yes. Um, the cigar slap, like, come on, that's kind of iconic. Slapping, the, and it just breaks in his mouth as brutal as... And then he gets slapped by David in the second or the third act. Um, yeah, he's I mean, it's always like... The slapped person of the film. He is, exactly. And he's also <laughs> such like a doorstop. When he says, do I get a percentage in the companies when he gets slapped in the first place? It's like Connor in succession. Yeah. Kind like of. a bumbling idiot. And also like... Maybe Greg... Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, even like the succession references. I'm sorry. It, it's just, <laughs> it's a good comparison. It you is. know, maybe I just um, like comparing this to Succession and the Power of the Dog because those are great. This is exactly. And also, the similarities are there. Like, I, I they are, you. except those have improved upon this. Oh, wow. I'm hurt. No, but uh, what was I going to say about Leo? Oh yeah, he's, we're just like kind of, ignoring the ignoring the fact that like he's married. They want him to marry his first cousin. Yeah. When they mentioned that, I was like, okay. And then they're like, our grandfather and our grandmother were first cousins, and look how we turned out. Oh, what of a course. weird moment. Like I know we're in the south. But like... Yeah, we're in the south in 1900. This is it. Checks out. It really it's does. Also, like when you watch Gone with the Wind for the first time, you realize like Melanie and What's his name? The first cousins or second cousins? Like, oh my god. Okay, we're doing no, it. and also it's not dated in that sense. Because I think movies that are, unless they're biopics, I think movies that are from a certain time and tell a story about a time before it don't hold up. No, they hold up better than movies that are so strictly talking about a time that they're in. Uh, an example of this is something like Easy Rider. And I know this is like a weird comparison, but I don't think that movie's bad. I think it's okay. I just think the issue is, aside from the fact that there's no character development, is that it was made for a movement. It was made in a very 
specific time about a very specific event going on. And there's, I don't know, it's just like, when you watch it now, it, it's so not the same. But when you watch a movie that was made a while ago and it tells a story about a time before that, it never feels as dated. Do you get what I'm saying? Sure, sure. Like, so does that mean that like a contemporary remake of The Little Foxes would just be like not a good idea? Yeah, probably. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. They're only like 40 years removed from this time period that that they're in at the time. Um, people with a living memory of that era would have been alive in the 40s, in the 30s when the play was staged. Um, yeah. What else can we say about... Well, what do you think of the ending? Oh, so after, you know, um, Horace has died and the brothers were basically... Regina kind of like blackmails them, but also not really. Like she says, there's no proof, you know, without Horace alive, I can just say that you stole the bonds. There's no one, you know, isn't that kind of what she says? She sort of like um, blackmails her brothers to get 75% of yeah. the company. And it's just like her greed has just continued. She's callous. Um, basically like her, her husband's died minutes ago and suddenly she's making like a business deal like crazy energy um, yeah but again the way it's portrayed doesn't leave me shocked i think it's just yeah too, too, too many of the same notes we've had enough like levity in between but Probably. i do I do like the whole message at the end. It's very much a message film. Uh, Lillian Hellman is a very opinionated artist, excuse me. Um, and, you know, we have been saying we'll own this country one day. You know, it's damning, but it's as politically resonant at the time as it is now. And, you know, these things always will be, unfortunately. Uh, then you have Alexandra, you know, saying she's not going to stand by and let you and let people like you poison poison the, the world poison our land and she runs to david her lover and they walk in the rain and that's sort of like an arc that we've been following the entire the entire movie um so it ends on that, yeah it ends on sort of like an anti-greed message which is maybe like in disguise as an anti-establishment uh yeah. proposition um, I do like the ending because it's like as cathartic as a film like this can be. Um, and also just Alexandra finally standing up for herself and like taking independence in her stride. Like, yes, more of that because, you know, you can sort of see her. She almost does after David mentions to her, like, don't let your family like walk all over you, put one step in front of the other. She sort of stands up to Regina, but Regina immediately um takes her back down to her the level that she was at prior so I, I did kind of like seeing Alexandra actually having her moment um I also think it like benefits Teresa Wright's performance for her to have that final mo uh, final scene share the final scene with Regina but yeah what did you think of that actual ending with like the very loud message that's supposed to you know supposed to remember I I assume I, I think it's nice 
it just doesn't feel like the ending of a film. It feels like the second or third to last scene of a movie. And then it just kind of stops. <laughs> hmm. Does that make so any like, sense? You think, it's a, you think it's like a cop-out, like a fake ending? Yeah, kind of. Hmm. And I like what you said in that it's the most catharsis we can get from like this. And I do like this sort of, I don't know if it's a critique on capitalism per se, but I sort of picked up on that in the way the family dynamic is handled and the way that the relationships are handled. Mm. I don't know. I'm sorry I'm low energy. It's just like, I don't have much to add. I feel like it's kind of this strange jarring not jarring sudden way to end the movie it doesn't really feel like a conclusion maybe that's the point uh i I do i do agree in the sense that a lot of characters feel like maybe like they've got there's it's not like a, a fluid rope like they've got threads dangling um it's funny when someone dies like horace that's like the most conclusive a character actually becomes in the movie because I had to like wrap my head around oh and what's going to actually happen after this scene like what is Regina going to do now like what is Birdie going to do like where is Birdie in this moment like what is Birdie up to and then I'm just like oh and Teresa Alexandra has walked with her news reporter boyfriend who they've kind of had this push-pull relationship with but I don't know if that's a, a love story that I could entirely get behind it was a bit prickish in the beginning um I don't know it's 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 strange I feel like a sequel for this would be interesting I um, actually think it would make sense <laughs> call, call it the power of the dog no don't call it the big foxes and the have them foxes. like and but then again you'd have okay the new business deal and then they would crumble and then you would also talk about greed being bad and i don't know it would definitely be repetitive um this is interesting because now i feel like my uh praise for the film is slowly being drawn down. yeah i've noticed that over the cross over the course of this episode so far you've just become more negative on it and that 4.5 uh, star rating is still shocking to i'm me. gonna boost it to a six just for you. what <laughs> i'm inventing my rating for you <laughs> i usually don't rate old films though so that's this okay. is new for me yeah uh um i don't have much to add i think it's it's just not a good story i think the characters are sticks i think it's boring uninteresting <laughs> literally hurt over here should we get into should we get into questions and then maybe like 1941 the actual oscars and like what this film was nominated for yeah because that might be interesting yeah let's let's get into our questions um we have james supports the little foxes final message yes we have two questions from matt and one of his questions is about which supporting actress and we'll get into that when we get into the oscar race uh, so we'll answer that later. And then the other one is, would the film be as successful had Tallulah Bankhead reprised her stage role as Regina uh, instead of Betty Davis? Successful in a monetary sense? 
Yeah, like, I guess box office. Oh, absolutely not. I mean, that was the reason why she wasn't cast, because she hadn't had successful box office um, hits or anything. I think successful in the way that the film goes and the way the film is presented, I would say, yes, more successful than Betty Davis. So I think I mentioned earlier to the bank, its interpretation was a bit different. It wasn't as cold and calculating and conniving. It was played as a quote-unquote fighter. Take that as you will. But I think that would have made her scenes with Alexandra in particular a little bit more interesting. I would have loved if we had like a Tallulah Bankhead um, lead performance on film that, you know, garnered her praise and saying Academy Award. Look, she does have a really interesting um, career. She was praised for her stage interpretations. She's also a southerner. She's from Alabama, if I'm correct. Um, I think she even was like in contention for Scarlett O'Hara um, being a southerner and all, oh, but she's, yeah. she was quite um, old to play a 16 year old, let's just say that. So she was ultimately looked over quite early on in the screen test. Um, she, she has a moment have you seen like her I Love Lucy cameo? No. She's like, she's over for dinner at um, the, the Bulls, the Ricardos. <laughs> Sorry, being the Ricardos. Um, and <laughs> what's the, uh, I've completely forgotten the, I watched we get being the Ricardos like a week ago. I've forgotten who Vivian. Nina um, Arianda. Oh, just the, the actual character, the character's name. My goodness, what is it called? I just, I'm looking at. See, this is the issue with Sorkin. Anyways, you forget the characters. Uh, um, Vivian Vance plays. Who does she play in the show? I'm so sorry to the listeners who are probably screaming. <laughs> I don't know. I don't watch. I love Lucy. <laughs> okay, basically, her character is. Uh, Tallulah Bankhead in The Little Fox's Stand and Ethel. Oh my god, that's fine. Her name's Ethel. Um, she interrupts like a dinner party, I guess, with uh, Tallulah Bankhead there. And she says, I love doing The Little Foxes. I saw it three times or four times. And anyway, I just wanted to mention that was like a good moment. And I, I I wish we had some recording of that performance just to see how it differed. Like I said, you can definitely check out Elizabeth Taylor's um, interpretation of it, which is something, all right? That's, that's, we're in the 80s, I think, when that happened. Um, and someone's just bootlegged it. I wouldn't say it's like, definitely Elizabeth Taylor you're, you're, you're there because of her, right? Like she's on the playbill um, and on the bill, the billing. But yeah, I wouldn't say like Elizabeth Taylor's performance was any better from what I saw. Very much like, she's not really doing much actually. But yeah, you can, you can judge that for yourself. That's on YouTube. I think that the film would have been better if she was cast because sure, maybe wouldn't have gotten as many Oscar nominations or maybe it would have. Maybe it wouldn't have made as much money. But the times I've seen a, a, a stage adaptation on film where the lead actress was it's the same 
actress that was on stage. It's always good. Um, mm. Which is interesting because a lot of the um, original Broadway company translate to stage. Yeah. Regina was the big outlier. But also look at how Tallulah Banker looks as Regina. Like that just seems perfect. I know. But Betty Davis looks kind of scary sometimes. Really powdered face. Um, the week that looks like an onion bloom. <laughs> you know, it's it's not very flattering and it definitely feels like a character and a character that she's not seamlessly connected with. I think that like I don't know if it would have been like auntie name but in a sense it would have been like this actress has it in her bones like she's been doing it for a while and it would have been mm -hmm. she could have like really been enthusiastic and big in a very entertaining way but Betty's just not so I kind of wish and she was cast have you heard like Tallulah Bankhead's speaking voice like it's yes. legendary yeah Husky Southern and Betty um, Davis is is too, but maybe not for this. No, something for like yeah. No, I agree. Uh, what else do we have? Yeah, two more questions from Zita, and she asks, "Why do you think that Lillian Hellman's critical reputation has declined over the years?" I guess people aren't interested in the stories anymore. Maybe I'm not, I, I can't reliably answer that question. I know she was blacklisted um, by HUAC. Uh, and the Little Foxes guess, is kind of forgotten. It did have a really successful Broadway revival recently oh. with Laura Linney and Cynthia Nixon oh, alternating, okay. alternating then, the then roles I'm of. <laughs> I think that was at. You're a New Yorker. How do you not? this <laughs> i think that was at the um samuel j friedman theater mm -hmm. but yeah um yeah I, I can't answer that question properly but i don't know if blacklisting actually taints people's modern perception no league look what look what happened that. to lee grant didn't do anything yeah, to her and, and lucille ball and yeah judy holiday um so <laughs> you know I think it actually makes them more sympathetic in modern perspective or yeah. in modern hindsight. So I, I can't really answer that question. What was Zeta's other one? Would you like to see a contemporary film adaptation? Oh my God. No. <laughs> no. You just rule of thumb, unless it's absolutely necessary. Uh, don't remake. Um, it ain't broke, don't fix it. But it is kind of bad, so... See, this is why I'm not entirely mad at the To Catch a Thief remake because To Catch a Thief is one okay, of the Okay, but are you? But worst. they could have cast Carrie Mulligan in that role. Yeah, I can't really say. <laughs> I'm on the Gal Gadot train, so um, <laughs> I think that's what yeah. people are more upset about. <laughs> yeah, because it's like, yeah, I, I get it, but I guess like if Little Foxes, I I do think Little Foxes has a life on stage, like it would probably live on through revivals yeah. stage revivals but I no film really mm -hmm. yeah i mean i couldn't even, i wouldn't even know who to cast i mean like <laughs> i said which could you imagine laura linney as regina like that's no. pretty inspired casting and she wanted to not on film so. though i don't know and would it be like a netflix rebecca release oh my god <laughs> or would it be a cast? major oscar contender <laughs> 
But see, that's the thing. We don't really have stars like Betty Davis or Tallulah Bankhead anymore. Nope. And, Gal- you know, we have Gal Gadot. Oh, stop. <laughs> what about, you know, and I always look at, like, um, like, would Glenn Close be able to do it? But she's in her 70s now. I don't think Regina's supposed to be that. I think Regina's supposed to be in her 40s. I'm, I'm sort of thinking about, like, the actors that we have that are, like, hangovers with classic and contemporary cinema, like Meryl, Glenn. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. This is hard. Yeah, this, this is maybe why us, it, like, maybe it shouldn't this be is maybe made. why it should not be made, exactly, because yeah. we can't even think of... Could you see... Um, um, is it... What's his name? The guy who plays Greg, something Braun, Nicholas Braun. Could you well, see him as Leo? Yeah. Hmm. I, I, Probably. I could see like I could see like Rudy Mara as as mm. Alexandra. I feel like she's too nineteen twenties star mm, sure. for that. Uh, this is always the thing where I have a hard time imagining like yeah the actors of today in period costume and makeup, but then you realize once you do it, like you always like, oh my God, they look straight out of that era. Um, but yeah. if, if it comes uh, to you, we can, you can bring it up if yeah. you were, if you think of anything, but would you like to go through our six, technically five categories? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Our first is editing and it was nominated alongside Citizen Kane, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, How Green Was My Valley, and the winner was Sergeant York. So would (laughs) would you give the win to the Little Foxes? No, I wouldn't. And I also wouldn't give it to Sergeant York. I would give it to (laughs) Citizen Kane. This is the one thing, this is maybe a reason why this film didn't win any Oscars. It's going up against How Green Was My Valley, Sergeant York. Citizen Kane only won one, so I wouldn't really consider that like major competition. But yeah. Do you have, I know you love Sergeant York. Do you want to? Let's, let's talk about that when it's in a category I care more about. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Best art direction, interior direct de- decoration, black and white. It was nominated mm-hmm. alongside Citizen Kane, The Flame of New Orleans, Hold Back the Dawn, Ladies in Retirement, Sergeant York, The Son of Monte Cristo, Sundown, The Hamilton Woman, When Ladies Meet. A declined nomination for Sis Hopkins, and the winner was How Green Was My Valley. <laughs> Literally haven't seen like 70% of the films on that list. Why were there so many nominees in production design? I don't know, especially black and white. Black and white um, production, interior decoration, black <laughs> and white. Um, you know, I actually like do like Little Fox's set design, even though sometimes it feels maybe unintentionally claustrophobic. Um, but also, it just felt like such a set. Like I know when no, we it, it was the, a it was a filmed play in many scenes. Yeah, and that's you know, like especially when you can see like the the height of the walls and whatnot. I could almost tell that that material was like not real, that they were on a soundstage for sure. Yeah. So then again, like it wasn't that great. How grim was my valley? I mean, that's just like, 
houses and a lot of painted sets if I'm if I'm correct. Yeah, I'm not huge on this category. I guess I'd go with Citizen Kane again because that's like iconic, but it's also not. Have you seen like the Hamilton woman? You know what? <laughs> next question. <laughs> Our next, next category. category has oh my god. Okay, best scoring of a dramatic picture. There's gonna be 15 nominees. Okay. Alongside Little Foxes, you have Backstreet, Ball of Fire, Cheers for Miss Bishop, Citizen Kane, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, Hold Back the Dawn, How Green Was My Valley, King of the Zombies, Ladies in Retirement, Lydia, Mercy Island, Sergeant York, So Ends Our Night, Sundown, Suspicion, Tanks a Million, That Uncertain Feeling, The Woman is Mine, and the winner was All That Money Can Buy. That's like, (laughs) how does that even happen? That's like the shortlist just being the nominees. That's the shortlist. <laughs> I, I don't... haven't heard of many of the scores. Little yeah. Fox's Mm-mm. score is not actually memorable at all. Nope. Um, honestly, How Green Was My Valley pass... had a good score, though. Yeah. I mean, the Little Foxes, does it pass the hum meter? Can I hum the score? I cannot. So, um, sure, nominations. Does it have a... Uh, a noteworthy composer attached to it, the Little Foxes score. Meredith Wilson. Oh, oh yeah. Like Meredith Wilson for Music Man. Uh, is it the same Meredith Wilson? Yes. Okay. It is. Uh, interesting. Mm. Yeah, no, it's like I always, the title card didn't even have like an interesting score. It was no. very like, it's, it was just what you'd expect for a film like that. Yeah. Um, I really Why are there school. so many nominees, though? That's I don't know. Wondering. I don't. I, I don't understand how school would have up to fifteen nominees in some years. That's, it has twenty and, nominees. Twenty. Twenty nominees, and they're also like unique. That's the thing that they're not like the predictable nominees. Like yeah. there's so many films that really just only got school nominations. What was that obsession with? <laughs> why not have 20 like best picture nominees no, why, why not have 20 best actress nominees exactly mm-hmm. we've always been at five when i'm a big like proponent of then six, penelope six cruz nominees. would get nominated this year exactly i actually love the idea of six nominees but Same. i feel like something something like the critics choice like that that does too much like no, that's trying to get no, every no. oscar precursor nope we don't like that <laughs> Yeah, I'm yeah. critics choice this year. Okay, well, here are the categories that are important. Best adapted screenplay. Oh, <laughs> you yeah. have How Green Was My Valley, Hold Back the Dawn, The Maltese Falcon, uh, and Here Comes Mr. Jordan was the winner. So what would you give the win to? I would give it to How Green Was My Valley, to be honest. I know this is almost a verbatim rehash of the play's material. There is added dialogue, but no, I feel comfortable giving it to How Green Was My Valley. That's like just a really beautiful film and such a sweet, authentic script. I would give it to The Maltese Falcon. But again, it's like, I don't like many of these movies. <laughs> so yeah. 
Is it because of like the famous quote? This is what dreams are made of. It's just a, it's a good movie. I li- yeah. I like the story and I like the dialogue. It works for me. So mm. that's pretty easily winning here. I'm really surprised how green was my valley to it, but anyway. Yeah, I guess they maybe wanted to spread the love. Yeah, I mean, if you love, here comes Mr. Jordan. I I'm I I'm a dislike of a very famous remake of that. We won't get into that. <laughs> yeah. Well, do you want to get into the supporting actress race? Yes, this is actually where it becomes interesting. Yes. So alongside Patricia Collins and Teresa Wright, you have Sarah Allgood for How Green Was My Valley, Margaret, I'm not going to attempt to pronounce that, Wycherly, Wycherly in Sergeant York, and your winner was Mary Astor in The Great Lie. So would you give the win to either Patricia or Teresa? Okay. Teresa has my vote, but I think it comes more down to just like her arc. It's it's much easier when you have a character that you can just root for from your gut as opposed to feeling sorry for Patricia. Um, But I'm actually like really happy with Mary Astor's win for The Great Lie. Um, Teresa is probably my runner-up. I don't really get Sarah Allgood's nomination for How Green Was My Valley. I'm even having a hard time remembering who that was. Um, But Mary Astor is in like countless scenes with Betty Davis and actually like holds her own against her. Like she she does a fantastic job in that film. And... I don't know if you prefer her in The Maltese Falcon or The Great Lie, but I find her really compelling in, in The Great Lie. And also someone who actually elevates a film, which is so just like melodramatic <laughs> and, yeah. and careless. Um, I will say, though, that this is more of the fault of the director but she has like some really great lines that just go into just dead air because that Edmund yeah. Golding is like not, it's not on his game. <laughs> no. Oh my God. No. Uh, I stick with Mary Astor. I really like that performance. Um, I think Patricia Kula, why can't I pronounce this? Collins is my runner up. Then Teresa Wright. And then who cares? For sure, I was mispronouncing Patricia's last name the whole time. I was thinking of Jennifer Coolidge. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was too. Um, Mary Astor is phenomenal. She's the best part of that movie. She's so entertaining, lively, fun, delicious. It is great. Uh, mm-hmm. That movie's okay. It also is interesting to see Hattie McDaniel in other films. Uh, that, I love that as well. Yeah, yeah. but... Yeah, I, not only does she hold her own against Betty Davis, but she's outshines Betty Davis in that movie. I, I would say, yeah, especially yeah. like that one scene where she's like in the cabin and Betty's character is like sort of caring for her. Or do you know which scene I'm talking about? It's in sort of in the middle, and she just—you can tell she's just so fed up with the with her and the situation that they're in. It's like yes, yes like the tension is so drag good. her, Mary. Yeah. I love that win. That's actually like a really good choice for a supporting actress. Although I do get the argument. There are people who think she's lead and I kind of understand that. 
awesome vintage category for me. <laughs> <sighs> okay, let's do actress last. Yeah. Yeah. Director, alongside Weiler, you have Orson Welles for Citizen Kane, Alexander Hall for Here Comes Mr. Jordan, Howard Hawks for Sergeant York, and your winner was John Ford for How Green Was My Valley. What are your thoughts? I, I don't think it's actually like the greatest lineup. I think it's no. really standard for the year in film. You're just triggered because Sergeant York's there. I'm triggered because, the, I mean, Citizen Kane's the only option here. Exactly. And I mean, like, <laughs> what else do we have to say about Orson I'm Wells? surprised that Sergeant York didn't win, though. That really was close. And I'm sure that was really close in picture. Hmm. Well, just like... Um, Scary. Like Gary Cooper sort of just, like, leading it to the wind, you oh know? Oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, Orson Welles, I mean, obviously deserves the Oscar here just because of what he did for film. Um, <laughs> but it's sort of hard to appreciate that when you're in the middle of it. So I can totally understand why he lost. And also John, John Ford was an extremely well-respected director. Yeah, and, and that's a well-directed movie. Yeah, I mean, I actually really like how Graham was my family. I'm not going to pretend that, like, Citizen Kane is not this cold film that is also just like kind of hard to keep track of um yeah I, I know people like to say oh like this on how green was my palette because it won but it's a good film it's yeah yeah uh Which but yeah, like, no. just a picture doesn't picture it? yeah and how green was my valley won. and alongside the little foxes you have blossoms in the dust citizen kane here comes mr jordan Old Back the Dawn, The Maltese Falcon, One Foot in Heaven, Sergeant York, and Suspicion. So would you give the Little Foxes the win? I would, oh, this is an edgy comment. I, feel, I would give the Little Foxes the win over Susan Kane, but I'm happy with how Green was my valley winning. But the Little Foxes. Does that make here. any sense? Yeah. So the little foxes is like not choice. my choice. Oh, it's not my choice. But I do have a slight preference to it over Susan Kane. Okay. Especially when like I, it's probably wrong because like a best picture is supposed to be the best film of the year. But I always like to see like best picture of like an amalgamation of things. No. Yeah. Like I, if you enjoyed how green was my valley the most, then give that the win. No one's. Yeah. I'm not a film bro. I'm not gonna. <laughs> but i mean citizen kane as a best picture winner would have been like well of course very apt you know but, but i don't think that I was actually gonna happen like, no because i mean that's the thing when people act like oh why weren't they able to appreciate this in 1941 because it was all so new and like we know how conservative hollywood was about conventions so like yeah didn't do that well at the box office either Exactly. What was your also? Sorry to bring Mank in this, but I do love how Mank won more Oscars than Citizen. That King. is a joke. <laughs> I think it was nominated for more too. Yeah. What are your yeah. thoughts on Best Picture? Well, yeah, Citizen Kane is the only film that I. Citizen Kane and the Maltese Falcon are the only mm. ones that that 
like deserve a nomination for best picture for me so i guess i'll just oh, go with brutal. citizen Kane. the two <laughs> best picture nominee lineup <laughs> i haven't seen many oh. 1941 films that's yeah, right i know you've seen soldier new york you are you love soldier new york is trash uh one foot in I do love, though, that we had sort of like a two-horse race. You could call it a three-horse race if you're including the little foxes. Um, I guess an unpopular opinion would be to say, like, the little foxes deserve to win Best Picture. Um, but say, like, to my comment before, I was mean, I'm looking at it as, like, a preferential ballot. So I would actually go, like, one, How Green Was My Valley, two, The Little Foxes, three, Citizen Kane. Mm-hmm. Um Although I appreciate Citizen Kane more than the others, this is like really like not making sense. No, no, exactly. I see what you're saying. It's like a a contest of like appreciating the film versus versus admiring it. You know, people who say like, "Oh, I admire that film, but I didn't necessarily like it," like that sort of. Yeah, of course, you appreciate it but didn't enjoy it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, let's do actress because this. Let's go. Alongside Betty Davis, you have Olivia de Havilland for Hold Back the Dawn, Greer Garson for Blossoms in the Dust, Barbara Stanwyck for Ball of Fire, and your winner was Joan Fontaine in Suspicion. This is just full of the biggest names. This is like a popularity uh-huh. contest, honestly. Exactly. Who, would, you, would you give Betty the win? Oh, no. No, no, but I do find it interesting that she had two Oscars by this time and she's still fairly like early in her career. Yeah. She would only ever win two, but I, I do find that interesting. I would totally see a Betty Davis win here, but Barbara Stanwyck in Ball of Fire, like, are you kidding me? That's so good. Yeah. So good. But you make a good point about it being like the biggest Hollywood stars all in one category. Surprised yeah. Catherine Hepburn wasn't here. I mean, was she even in a film? Who knows? That would top it all off, but. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hold back the dawn. Who cares? Couldn't get. Couldn't get through. Exactly. I mean, we love Olivia <laughs> de Havilland, but yeah, not and John. Oh my goodness. Oh Joan my Fontaine's god. Oh, sympathy my win. God. Compared to the eyebrow dancing, magnif- magnificent performance in Rebecca, is a joke. I. She hate. is leagues below in suspicion. <laughs> I hate suspicion and i, I hate do as well her performance in it i think it is atrocious i think it's the worst movie nominated that year it's my least favorite best picture nominee. i i hate how, it. how bad is that ending like why she did she gets what is the what is wrong with her i think she is so unnatural so forced so inauthentic so bad in that movie that's one of the worst best actress winners ever 100 percent it has oh. to be. <laughs> it's very, it's just unbelievably plain. And but like also forced. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And compared to Rebecca. Like, yeah. Oh just goodness. give her the win for that. Um, she was but, up against Ginger Rogers, was she? For Rebecca? Yeah. Or? yeah. Kitty Fogo, like that's not a great performance, yeah, no. in my opinion. Barbara Stanwyck is the only performance here that I like. So, and exactly. I love so, I love, I not only like, love 
Barbara Stanwyck is awesome in everything. And can we talk about how like her losing for double indemnity was a big shock as well? Like two Oscars in one decade, Barbara Stanwyck could have easily Okay, achieved. I actually give, I actually stick with Ingrid that year. Not many people think that, but sure. it's close. I mean, I really and I like also think, I also think I love double indemnity, but I'm not like as big on it. Like it's not top three Billy Wilder for me. Like I'm not as big as, on it as other people. I still really like it. And I think she's amazing, sure. but I very easily give her the win this year. I think she's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and I stick with Ingrid in, in 44. So therefore, I don't feel bad about anything. Um, Maria I, Garson is actually okay. That movie is fine. It's kind of boring, but she has like a nice presence. And this is like her consecutive ring of nominations. Oh yeah, no, she's on the middle, and then she wins yeah. the next year. Yeah, I feel like Betty Davis could have stood a chance had she not um, fought so much publicly as well. Like the yeah. the feuds on the that set might be became... why she didn't win a third Oscar because she really wanted to win a third Oscar. And I'm surprised she didn't. I can think of yeah, it. but what do you? What well, I mean. It's not surprising that she didn't win for Baby Jane. It's really not. Um, exactly. When you all about Eve, you, you we know we all know the story of that. I guess you could give um, it to her for now, Voyager. Ooh, I don't know about that one. Yeah, it's kind of hard. Uh, stiff competition. That's the thing. Like, yeah, when she won in thirty-five and thirty-eight, she she had that in the bag. I would rewrite completely rewrite Oscar history and give it her first one for of human bondage. Me too. Um, yeah. I don't like Jezebel either. It's been it's been a while since I've hmm. seen her. Don't like yeah. it. But this year, I have to say, also Ball of Fire. Why was that not nominated for Best Picture? Just couldn't appreciate. Screwball, unfortunately. It's like so it's like their, their horror problem nowadays is now like, yeah. like screwball back then. Even though you had films like My Man Godfrey with plenty of nominations, but zero wins if I'm correct. Um didn't My Man Godfrey like miss picture and get everything else or something like that? Yeah, it was nominated, I think, for four acting, four acting nominations. Yeah, it got four all four acting nominations. It got director and screenplay but not picture like what more do you need <laughs> it's a they shoot horses don't they moment which we'll be discussing on my part another one that i'm pissed about not getting in um do you have anything positive to say about the little foxes to wrap up is this the uh, least favorite film you've discussed no that would be the turning point <laughs> Oh, okay. But at least you're kind of like watching Oscar history with the turning point. You know what? Actually, this might be because the turning point isn't boring. <laughs> I am. No, I there are parts this. of it that are boring. Uh, yeah, okay. And I think that movie is like actively bad. Hmm. But this, I just don't care. So, yeah, maybe. Okay. I still, I still will say if you want like companion pieces to timeless stories that are still. Like, if you've seen The Power of the Dog and you're like, more films like this, you could go down, like, the Hitchcock route and find, like, films of a similar amount of tension. Or you can just watch The Little Foxes. And 
you end up loving it because it's a good film. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm such a negative Nancy. Mm. Yeah. That's all right. Yeah. Well, but at least you've seen another iconic Betty Davis performance. I have. Even though it's iconic in maybe the wrong ways. It is. <laughs> uh, where should people look for you on social media? Okay, so you can find me on Twitter at the Out of Oscar Pod. Um, episodes released fortnightly this year. We're discussing films that garnered major precursors on the best picture run for the year, but missed out on an Oscar nomination. So Sam will actually be joining me shortly yes. to discuss They Shoot Horses, Don't They? A better film the than most. The Little Foxes. Okay, that makes me happy because if we're going to argue again, we no, the li no, we didn't argue, but the little the Bayshard <laughs> Horses Dante is one of my favorite movies. So, yeah, and also like famously, most nominated film to not pick up a Best Picture nomination. Yeah, so it would have. How but it actually, happened. if it was, it wouldn't have made my list because Gig Young won. So, exactly true. Thank God and that is one of the best choices ever. By the way, <laughs> we'll save it. Yeah. <laughs> And and yeah, so and you can also listen to me wherever you listen to your podcasts. Yeah. I am on Twitter at Sam the Parasite and Letterbox at Sam Meltzer. Thank you all for listening. Make sure to review and rate this podcast on whatever podcast service you use. Bye. <laughs>